Well, good morning again, Pastor Gus Brown from Akron Lions Fellowship. Hope that you've had a wonderful, wonderful week and looking for a wonderful holiday. Uh, the 4th is just around the corner for us and many people love these three-day breaks that we can get every now and then during uh, the year. Just to, just enough to kind of like refresh us and revive us. So uh, I'm kind of looking forward to uh Monday as a holiday, and then don't don't go back to work until Tuesday. Uh, some people, I understand, may even get Tuesday off, but uh, that's good. Uh, we need a break every now and then, uh, and I just praise God for that. Well, we're here today because we're going to continue on with Revelation, and what we want to talk about is the three witnesses in Revelations that really bear witness to God and to the gospel and the work that is taking place. Oftentimes we see revelation only as doom, doom, doom. There's going to be many, many people, thousands, millions of people that are going to be saved during the time of revelation because the way the gospel will go out. And uh, it's going to go out into every nation and language it's going to be shared. Why? This God who allowed his son to die for our salvation has not closed the book yet. And because the book has not been closed, salvation is still being offered. And some would argue it's offered in a different way and so forth. As far as I'm concerned, there's still only one name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. Rather it be the presence of the Antichrist, the beast, the image, and all this other stuff, there's still only one name under heaven that is given whereby men must be saved. And God is still in the saving business even during the time of revelations. And we have to be aware of that. And understand that. And uh, we have to look at it from that position. That God is still in the business of saving lives. Though many will not believe. And we'll understand that very clearly also. But we need to understand that there is something divinely taking place. Against the satanic attack that is coming against this world. We need to see that God is still at work and not just sitting on the sideline. So let's pray and, and let's get into this some. And I hope I can be very clear as we go through the word. And I hope that you'll have ears to hear and a heart to receive as God speaks to us. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for another, another glorious day that you have given unto us. And we pray, Father, that you would be the one who speak unto our hearts. Open our understanding, open our minds, uh, and Lord, allow us to receive what your word is going to share with us. And Lord, I pray that any be out here who may hear today, May they hear with understanding. May they hear with a heart longing for you and wanting to know more about you. May you, O oh God, open your word to us and make it very clear of the work that you're doing on our behalf. 
And Lord, we just give you thanks and give you praise that you are a God that so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever would choose to believe in him could have eternal life. Would you speak to us, Lord, and show us that you're still offering that even during the time of tribulation, during some of the roughest times that we'll ever see here on planet Earth or those who will go through it. Many of us may not never see it, but, oh, God, would you help us to believe for the generations that will follow, if you tarry, that, Lord, that they will hear and they would believe and that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, open your word, minister to us, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The three witnesses in Revelation. I think they're vital, they're important, and sometimes the question is asked, why even study this book with all the symbolicness and all the uh, metaphors that are used? And so many people would tell you, they read Revelations, but they don't understand it. And let me be clear on something. I've read it, don't understand it all, but every time I go back through it, pick up a little bit more, pick up a little bit more, pick up a little bit more. And still learning. That's the book of Revelation. You're going to learn more and more and more. What you may have read about Revelation 25 years ago, through some of the commentaries, the Great Lake Planet Earth, some of the other books and so forth that were written at that time, some, some things may have changed because of what has been discovered in the last 25, 30 years that is just really starting to get out into print. So it's not that men were trying to deceive anybody. You can only go on the information that you have at that time. And you give the best that you can give at the time or the period in which you're in. One thing about scripture is this. No matter what we discover historically, or find archaeologically, this becomes the final word. And hopefully what we discover, what we find, the new writings that we find, uh, just like a simple area that we found that the temple, the dome does not have to be destroyed or tore down to rebuild the temple because Years ago, we thought, boy, the foundational part of the temple and stuff was where the dome was. We found that is not true. And uh, so that whole process, the uh, dome of the rock does not have to be torn down. But the new temple can be built just a few hundred yards from it. And it would be on the basic foundation of which the old temple at one time was on. So... Those are new things that we are discovering. Other things are happening uh, as far as the priests getting ready. Certain things are being made for the temple. Sacrifices are being studied and so forth. I mean, there's a lot of things going on that sometimes we don't read about or hear about in regular news. But God is at work. God is at work. And we want to see him at work in his word. Now, what I want to challenge you with is this here. 
Now, I've asked different people this question. What are the two main things you really see in Revelation? And maybe I'm making the mistake by saying the two main things. But what do you see of the two main characters, maybe? How they're functioning in the book of Revelation. And I don't find too many authors speaking of this. But somehow it was laid on my mind, my heart, and I began to just look at it. Because God is going to bring forth three witnesses. And he brings forth three witnesses basically to confront a lie. The lie that the Antichrist, the image and the beast of those who are working on behalf of Satan, that they form this lie against God. And then God comes back with the truth. And he shares the truth. Now, only one who can combat a lie really is God. Especially when it has to do with spiritual issues. The only one who can confront it and really share truth and, and, and really share light and darkness is God. No one else can do that. So in the book of Revelation, we see the father of all lies spreading his lie. And then God has to come back and share his truth. And people have to decide, is it a lie or is it truth? And the confusion that is brought in, because now you got to decide, is the image God or is this unseen God God who is declaring truth? And that's in the book of Revelation. But God is speaking. He's not silent. And he speaks to the people and he uses three main witnesses to do that. And I'm not discounting the other things that take place or what the other angels do and so forth. But we're going to look at three, what I think is three main characters and what they share and what God does through them. Now, we want to see this because it's so important to understand that Satan really is the father of lies. And he develops this lie in order to cause confusion, but also in order to start people down this path of worshiping him. And we have to understand that Satan's goal is to be worshipped. Satan's goal is to be praised, just like God. He knows he cannot be God, but he wants to be like God. So when you go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at verse 4 to begin with. 
and then we're going to drop down to 9 and 10. But we'll look at 4 again. And I know we've hit this verse before, but I told you we're going to come back to it, and most likely we'll come back to it again. But uh, just to give us some clarity and some understanding, he says, he will oppose, and who is the he? That is Satan. <clears throat> that is demonic spirits. That's the Antichrist. That's that false image. That is the beast. Uh, he will oppose and will exalt himself. What's going to happen? Satan's going to exalt himself through this image. This false image. He will exalt himself over everything that is called God. Over what? Over everything that is called God. Satan has to bring God down and lift himself up. He has to destroy God's teachings in a sense. And put a teaching out here that is of him. And that is about him. And what he wants us to believe. And. Satan does that very subtle, and he's very deceptive with it, and he deceives many, but he challenges the truth, but God comes right back with truth, and then we have to decide what is really true, and he says he will oppose everything that is called God or is worshipped. So that he sets himself, that's so important to grab. He sets what? Himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That's the lie. That the, that's the deceptiveness. And God combats that with truth about himself and the gospel. And he says, Satan is telling a lie here. He is not God. But many people will believe that false image and that beast is God. And he says, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, drop down with me into verses 9 and 10. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. Satan is the one who's behind all this. Although he don't set himself so much on the stage, he sets the Antichrist, he sets the image, he sets the beast. But he's behind their working. And he goes on, he says, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. Now look what's going to be displayed. And all this is for deceptiveness. All this is a lie in a sense. He says, Satan displays in all kind of counterfeit. Counterfeit can look real, but it's what? It's not real. It's not real. And people are going to have to see through it that this is not real. But it's going to come so strong. That's the problem. It's going to come so strong with the signs and, and, and the workings that are taking place that Satan is given, really in a sense, the authority to do by God. And that people have to decide. 
is that God or is he God? Which one is really telling us the truth? And he says, Satan display in all kind of counterfeit, what? Miracles, signs, and wonders. And people sometimes believe more in what they see than the real facts of truth. And God's going to give us the real facts. He's going to give us truth. It's not that God doesn't work miracles, but miracles is not what really save us. And yes, oh, wouldn't I just love to see God's hand move in a divine, in a, in a, in a way that just declares God. But it's not the miracles that really convince us. What really convince us of truth is God's word. God's word. And he says, boy, counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. All those are counterfeit. All of them are false. Yet we will see them, but they're not really divine. They're not really from God. And he goes on and he says in verse 10, And in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. What's happening? He's deceiving people, keeping them, in a sense, away from truth, understanding truth and they're perishing because they won't believe truth and many people today are in that boat they will not believe truth nor will they believe that they're perishing nor will they will not believe that they're on their way to hell separated from God they won't believe that they believe that they are going to heaven somehow they believe they've been good enough. They believe in what they believe. And Satan has deceived them and has told them a lie and has in some way blinded them and blocked them from really hearing the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he taught and what he shared. And when that is not getting through to the heart and the minds of people. All they can lean on is what they think they believe. And oftentimes it's fall oh so short of this word. The Lord again, he says, the truth will set you free. He didn't say what you believe will set you free. He said, the truth will set you free. You can believe in something, but what you believe in is not true. What you believe in may not be true. So therefore, it's false. But you're believing it. But you're believing a lie. You're believing a deception. You're believing in something that's a counterfeit. You're believing in something that is false is not really of God. The truth, the truth will set you free. And you want the truth to establish your path. You want God's word to really be a light unto your path. You want the truth, and you have to seek for the truth, search for that truth. 
and pray that God reveals truth to you. And he says again in verse 10, and in every sort of evil and that deceives those who are perishing. They perish. Now, catch this in verse 10, 2 Thessalonians 2, 10. They perish because they refuse to what? They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. What's going to save them? The truth. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. He is. He is. And and no man can come to the Father but by him. He is truth. And he speaks to us the word of God. And the whole process here, they perish because they refuse. Now I want you to hang on to that word. They refused. It's not that they didn't hear. They heard truth, but they also heard deception from the enemy, from Satan. And we're the one that have to decide which one is really true. And you have to decide even today. Is God's word truthful? Is it truthful? Is God's word powerful enough to save you if you accept it? And I want to commend the word of God to you and say to you, God's word is able to save to the uttermost because his word is also a living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we need to understand what is taking place because go with me to John chapter 8 and verse 44 because here is Satan now. And we see this in the book of Revelation. Satan is lying, 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 lying. God is sharing truth, truth, truth. But the people have to decide. You have to decide if this word is truth or if this word is a lie. It cannot be 50-50, part of it true, part of it a lie. Either it is all true or is not. Now, I'll be first to let you know, yes, there are some mistakes in the Bible. There have been some added little things to it. But over 99.999% of the Bible is true. It's true. And you can rely on it. You can trust it. And in verse 44, this is what he says. Then you look at the book of Revelation, and then you ask this question. Does this fit in the book of Revelation of the character of the Antichrist, the image, and the beast? It simply says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and holding and from, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, 
Now catch this. For he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil, Satan, everything he builds is built on a lie. And what we see in the book of Revelation with the Antichrist, the image, and the beast, and all of the demons per se, is nothing but a lie that comes from them. They're trying to build something, and they do it for a little while on a lie. On a lie. All along, God then is speaking truth. God is the only one who can, through his word, challenge this liar, Satan. And God does with truth. He challenges him. Now, we need to understand that God is not a liar and he has no need to lie. But what God shares with us is truth. What man has a problem with is understanding, is it really true? And the question is, behind that, is there really a God who has spoken truth? If you deny the person of God, then it's very easy to deny that he has spoken truth. If you say there is a God, then the next question that you have to ask is this. Does he communicate to us? And I want to say he does. He is not a God far off that doesn't speak. He's not a God sitting on the sideline. He is not a God who is not involved. He is involved. And we need to understand that God is very, very much involved in everyday life. Now, truth, there's things that are happening in our world we can't explain, and oftentimes it is asked, if God is so good, and God is so loving, and God is so merciful, why does he allow some of these awful, hideous things to take place? I wish I could really answer that. All I know, my God is a sovereign God, and nothing happens without his permission, in a sense, or his willingness to allow it to happen. And he's given men free will to act the way they act and do the evil that they do. It's not that he's not coming against that. It's not that he's not talking to them. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening? Are we hearing? Or are we being entrapped by the enemy for destruction? For Satan comes to steal and to rob and to kill. He comes to destroy through his deceptive word that he gives. When you do something wrong, don't ever think you're going to get away from. You're going to get away scot-free. You're not. You're not. Eventually, you have to pay for that. There's always a consequence for wrong. And eventually it's going to catch up with you. And in some way, some manner, you will be held accountable. So in James, 
but I want to show you that it, God, the God we serve, he's the same God. The, the God in Revelation is no different than the God of the Old Testament or the God that we see in the Gospel. He is the same, same God. And what is he trying to do? Share his love with us. Share his word with us. That's the whole purpose of Jesus Christ coming. To teach us and to share the message that God wanted delivered to us. The purpose of the Holy Spirit was to come. To come and to edify that word and to allow that word to become alive in every one of our hearts. And to be a teacher of that word to us. So in, in James, we're going to see this picture of him in 117. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Who does not change like shifting shadows. He does not change. He is the same God who wants people to know truth, who wants people to de be delivered from that lie of the enemy, from the blindedness of the enemy, from relieving a lie that Satan shares with them in deception. And they perish because they refuse to believe what? The truth. It's not that truth is not presented, but they refuse to believe the truth. People are perishing today because they refuse to believe the truth. And we have to understand that. And that's taking place in Revelation also. But God is bringing truth forth. He's bringing truth forth. And he says, he does not change. Now, go over to Hebrews 13.8. Hebrews 13.8. Because I, I, I want you to catch this. Because it's so important. In 13.8, uh, he shares this here. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's what? Catch that word. He's the same. He's the same. Yesterday. Today. Forever. Not changing. He's gone. He's not changing. God's not changing. He, he is real. He's not changing. And we have to understand that. That God is consistent in his character. God is consistent in his work when it comes to sharing truth and wanting us to know truth. He's consistent from one generation to another generation to another generation until he closes the book, until that end comes. God takes on the responsibility of sharing truth with us. And we see that in the book of Revelation. That God wants to declare his truth to us. Even while Satan is speaking a lie. And working deceitful, miraculous signs and wonders and healing. They're all counterfeit. And God is speaking truth to us. 
and God is still choosing those who he would desire to share truth with us. And that's what we want to see. That God wants to do that. Go over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse 4. Romans 3, 4. We're just going to hit a couple of verses real quick. And then we're going to begin to look at those three witnesses because time is really starting to fly on me. But look at Romans 3 and verse 4. Oh, let me get there. He says, Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar. Let every man be what? A liar. But let who be true? Let God be true. Let God be true. But every man a liar. And you need to understand, every man who comes up with some type of religion really is being led by Satan. All these, Muhammad is, is this something is of Satan, not of God, but of Satan. Buddha is something not of God, but of Satan. And you can take all the isms and they're of Satan, not of God. There is only one, one true word. It's called the word of God, the Bible. The scriptures. And they speak truth to us. And he says, let every man be a liar. But let God be true. Why? That's all God can do is speak truth. He will never lie to us. He'll speak the truth to you. If you want to know truth about yourself, about a future life, Get into God's word and allow him to speak to you. And it's strange that once you get into this that is basic, how somehow this little voice turns on in here. And amazing what you begin to hear. Now understand this. God's not going to tell you something that goes contrary to this. I know a lot of people said they've heard a voice. They've heard a voice. But if that voice is leading you to do an act that is contrary to the word of God or to behave differently than what this Bible describes how you should behave as a Christian, then that's not God speaking. He will not go against his own word. Understand that principle. He will not tell you to do one thing in his word, his written word, and then tell you to do something totally contrary to what this word is saying because you think you've heard a voice. No, he won't do that. Now, he doesn't change. He speaks the truth to us. We're the ones who have to decide, does he really do that? Go to 1 Corinthians one eighteen. 1 Corinthians one eighteen. Again, uh, understanding that he is the one who is going to speak to us. And boy, we should desire to hear from him. But in one eighteen, he simply says, For the message of the cross is foolishness. Foolishness to who? 
the message of the cross, and this is something where Satan makes it look foolish, or uh, Satan puts his words or his deceptiveness into it. It's Satan who said, oh, no, it has to be more to it than just somebody dying for your sins. And that you can be saved because somebody went to a cross for you on Calvary. And, and Satan begins to play with your mind and with the words. And you can't figure out why is it that one man could die for me and die for so many others and that they're set free from their sin and that they can ask for forgiveness and be saved. I should have to do more. That's a lie of Satan. If you could save yourself, God would have never sent his son, Jesus Christ. God himself would have never come and put on flesh and go to a cross and die there on your behalf if you could have saved yourself. If there's anything you could have done to save yourself, God wouldn't have come. But there's nothing man can do to save himself. We need to understand that. There's nothing. You can't be good enough. You can't give enough money. You can't do enough good works or kind acts. You can't beat yourself enough. You can't torment yourself enough to be saved. It only comes through Jesus Christ. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Look who it's foolishness to. Look who it doesn't make sense to. Look who the ones who allow Satan to get in there and spend his lies are those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God working in our lives. And we need to understand that. Now, there's a couple more verses that I would like to share with you. Romans one twenty five. if you'd like to write them down. Uh, the whole process that you can read that and then Numbers in 23.19 that, that God is not a liar. He's not a man that he should lie. Uh, you can look at those other verses and 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 just follow along and see that consistency about God. He speaks truth. Now, when we get into that book of Revelation, let me give you the three witnesses that's going to take place here in this book of Re Revelation because I want you to have them. I'm going to try to get through all three of them in the next 20 minutes. One is the 144,000. God chose them. That is not to say everybody else is not worthy. But for some reason, God chose this number and those individuals, 12,000 out of each one of the 12 tribes of Israel, to be a witness on his behalf and on the behalf of people. They're going to share this gospel. And he selects them. That is not to say others are not saved, others are not being used by God, but he allows us to know he has chosen 144,000, 12 out each one of the tribes 
of Israel. Go to Revelation chapter 7 with me. And catch this. And, and I want you to understand something. These are all Gentiles. Uh, these are all Jews. None of them are Gentiles. They're all Jews. Sixth thing I want you to recognize is this here. He lists the tribes. Only God himself can know in this present time or even in the future time what Jews really came from which tribe. We don't have these 12 tribes named today. But God knows the generations of every individual and where they come from. God could go back to the generations of my life and basically tell me exactly what part of Africa my forefathers may have come from, what tribe. God has that information. I don't. But he does when he chooses 12,000 men about of each one of these tribes to make up 144,000. When you look at verse 2, he says in chapter 7 of Revelation, and this is the first witness. The second witness are the two prophets that are going to come forth. And then the angel that flies back and forth to the four corners of the world declaring this eternal gospel. Those are the three witnesses. So he says in verse 2, Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had given power to harm the land and the sea, who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Now listen to what is going to be said to them. In verse 3, do not harm, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal, until we mark on the forehead of the servants of our God. They're called the servants of God. They've been chosen to serve God. And they're going to mark them. They're going to seal them. What is that seal? A seal of protection. Until they're done with their work, they're not going to be killed. That God is supernaturally going to protect them. And he marks them. Now understand this. The image has his people that worship him marked also. And they had to receive a mark. God's people are marked also that are witnessing for him. Now, those who may not be marked, that's the mean they're not of God. God just chose 12,000. Now, you still have Gentiles here. You have other groups of people. Gentiles is all other nations outside of the Jewish faith. It's a, you're a Gentile if you're not a Jew. So that's literally leaves millions and millions of people that may believe in God but are not marked with this seal because they're not chosen for this task. And he says, 
Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, a hundred and forty-four, from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribes of Judah, twelve thousand were sealed, and he begins to list the tribes and the twelve thousands that comes from each one. Now, when you go over into chapter 14 of Revelation, he says in that verse 1, he says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb. The Lamb was always used as a sacrificial animal. It was the sacrifice. And Jesus became that sacrifice for us. And John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. And he says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. Mount Zion can be another name also for Jerusalem. And he says, And with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their forehead. Remember it said that they were marked over in Revelation 7? Now it tells us what that marking was. It had the name of Jesus and his father's name written on their foreheads. Written on their They've been marked that they were the servants of God. And none of Satan's cohorts could really take their life. I didn't say it couldn't hinder them, didn't trouble them, but could not kill them at this point, although eventually they die. And most likely they die at the hands of Satan. And he says, 144,000 who were marked with his name and his father's name, written on their foreheads. And he talks then in verse 2, And I heard a sound from heaven like a roar of rushing water and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harps playing their harps, harpists playing their harps. And they sung a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. Now catch this here. No one, in this verse 3, no one could learn the song except the 144,000. No one could learn that song but the 144,000. Now, if you go back over, there was a song also, in a sense, that was written of the dragon, the first beast. In chapter 13, it says, Men worship the dragon, because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, and here comes the song or the saying, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? 
Who is like the beast? And who can make war against him? As though he is absolute authority, absolute power. And that became like a little song for the Antichrist, for the beast. And here, the 144,000 have a song that only they can learn. And they sung a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures. They have died. Where are they? They're in heaven. Not on earth. They're in heaven. Before the throne of the Lamb. And they're learning this song and they're singing it. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Catch that. Redeemed from where? Redeemed from the earth. They have been killed and now they have been some way brought forth to heaven and they're up in heaven learning a new song, praising God, and nobody else could sing it but them. Who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women. For they kept themselves pure. Some translation used the word virgin here it says they did not defile themselves with women in the Old Testament Israel was oftentimes charged with adultery because they were worshipping another God other than Jehovah the living God and God would call it adultery and he would call Israel an adulterer. Even to the point that he said he wrote Israel a bill of divorce. And what we need to see here is not that these men may not have been married. But they did not commit spiritual adultery. They did not worship the image they did not bow a knee to the beast or do anything to defile themselves from being faithful and true to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's talking about. They did not defile themselves with women. They did not defile themselves in any adulterous way by worshiping the image, spiritual adultery. They stayed true to the Lord Jesus Christ. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They followed the Lamb. How did they follow the Lamb? Just like Jesus Christ, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of God. They became the sacrifice for God in this time. And they followed Jesus as a lamb to the slaughter. 
and they were killed by Satan and his cohorts for sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for being a witness and loving the Lord. And he says, they followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men. Didn't that remind you something of the believers? That we were purchased by the blood of Christ? They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits. That they were the first in this time of tribulation, in a sense. That were slaughtered for the name of Christ. And first fruits just simply means this here. They were first, but others will follow. They were first, but others will follow. To God and the Lamb, no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Here's God using them to speak truth. Not a lie, but to speak the truth unto a dying world. Now, if you would, just turn over to chapter 11 with me. because We're going to have to run just a little bit here in chapter 11. <clears throat> about these two witnesses. And, and it says in this area of chapter 11. Now, I want to pick up real quick, if I can, in verse 2. Oh, boy. He says, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They were, they will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Those who are not Jews. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Then verse 3, and I will give power to two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. Think about that three and a half year period. These two men are also now going to prophesy or teach the word of God. They're going to share the love of God. They're going to speak of God while Satan's doing all his destructive work. While Satan's telling all his lies, these two men are also going to share truth and demonstrate truth by the power that is given to them to also work certain miracles and so forth. And these two men are going to do that for three and a half years. Now, understand this again. They do it for the time that God gives them to do it. And Satan cannot stop them. But eventually they also will be killed. But then surprisingly something else happens also. So he says, boy, they're going to do this for a hundred, I'm sorry, for 1,260 days. Clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees. Now, those two olive trees and the two lampstands, we're not exactly sure of what that really is. Uh, there's been suggestions. Different commentaries have made different suggestions. Some have said it's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some have said 
Okay, it's the 12 tribes of the Old Testament. It's the 12 apostles of the New Testament. Some have said, okay, it is the Jews of the Old Testament. It is the church or the Christians of the New Testament. So you have many different views that has been taught about what this olive tree and this uh, a lampstand might be. But let's just at this point just take it that, yeah, uh, hey, the olive tree and the lampstands that are before the Lord of the earth. They're there. Whatever they're really symbolizing, they're there before the Lord. And it goes on in that verse 5. It says, if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths. There's the power that God given them to protect themselves. Fire comes from where? From their mouth. And then he goes on and he says, boy, and devours their enemies. Then this is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. Must die. Anyone who's trying to harm these two prophets must die. And he goes on, he says, these men have power to shut up the sky. So that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood. And to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Boy, that's a lot of power. But God is demonstrating truth and power through these two men. Now Satan is also doing things also through his antichrist, through his image, through his beast. Now people have to decide what is true. Things are going on here. God is bearing witness to himself through truth, through the 144,000 bearing witness to himself, through the two prophets, and Satan is still blaspheming with all his lies and so forth and coming forth, but people have to decide what is really true. And he goes on and he says, Now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower, now you listen, and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt. Were also there, Lord was crucified. Were also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. They will refuse them burial. They will not allow them to be buried. And yet they celebrate their death. Why would they celebrate their death? Because they were proclaiming truth and men refused to hear the truth. Men refused to believe the truth. Remember what we read in Thessalonians? They perished because they refused the truth. 
These people are refusing the truth. Not everybody. But these who are celebrating their death are refusing to hear what they had to say. They've rejected what they had to say. And it goes on. The inhabitants of the earth will go over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts. They really made a big issue out this and they're celebrating. They're sending gifts to each other like if it was Christmas or somebody's birthday or whatever. They're celebrating. Why? They're not hearing truth any longer. They don't want to hear it. And it says they celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on earth. Truth has a way of tormenting. You remember what Hebrew says about truth. It's a two-edged sword. The word of God is a two-edged sword. It hurts. And sometime in life, it hurts to hear truth. But only the truth will set you free. Only the truth will bring you to Jesus Christ, to salvation. But they did not want to hear the truth, and they refused to accept the truth. Again, not everybody, but a large number of people. And we even see that today. And the truth does torment when you reject it, and you will not hear it. And you will not entertain it and ponder it and think it through. It will torment you. But it says then in verse 11, But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet, being dead for three and a half days. In three and a half days, your body can become quite starch in its odor and so forth when you lay out there three and a half days in the sun and it's heated and it's in the 90s or the hundreds your body can decay pretty quickly but it says in three and a half days they stood up didn't nobody help them up didn't nobody stand them up per se there wasn't two men on each side of them trying to stand them up it said they stood up. And they stood on their feet and terror struck, struck those who saw them. Terror struck. Did they see a miracle of God? Did they see the work of God? It didn't cause them to believe. But it struck terror. Fear in them. This struck those who saw them. Then they heard a voice from heaven saying to them, they heard, then they heard a loud voice, and I like the word loud, loud voice. I believe everybody who was watching also heard this voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up 
to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. Boy, what a magnificent, magnificent witness that these two men must have had, not only in their words, but how God used them to allow people to see them dead for three and a half years and then stand up on their feet on their own. And then for God to allow the people to hear him say to them, come up here. Well, let's get ready to close out with this third one, because it's short. When you get over in chapter 14 again, it says, Then I saw an, another angel live flying in midair. Then I saw another angel flying in midair. And he had the eternal gospel. That eternal gospel has been something that has been a debate also because of two things. One, some say it is not the eternal gospel of salvation. It's the eternal gospel of judgment because of what follows. It says, he had the eternal gospel to proclaim those to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God, and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And some will say this is divine judgment. It is the eternal judgment that is going to take place. I like to see it in this fashion. In the gospel, Jesus did not only tell us about salvation, but he also told us that there was one who would judge us. He warns us about the devil being the father of lies. He tells us that Satan comes to rob and to steal and to kill. Jesus in his life lived out what God wanted us to see as Christians, the loyalty and the faithfulness of one who serves him. But he also shows us in the gospel how Satan will also try to hinder when Jesus goes into the wilderness. He shows us how Satan tries to hinder in the garden of Gethsemane. He shows us how Satan is constantly also trying to interfere. And he, I believe this is still the eternal gospel that is able to save but also warns men of judgment. And therefore it is the first words, fear God. Boy, go back to Proverbs with me for a moment. 
Proverbs chapter 1. And uh, it's so important, I think, for us to see this. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge when one will hear and understand this eternal gospel. You will see both salvation and what happens if you do not receive this salvation. And this angel is giving witness of this eternal gospel and he proclaims it to those who live on the earth who live on the earth who's hearing this lie of Satan God sends this angel to declare this everlasting gospel that brings salvation but also brings judgment and he says He proclaims to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God, beginning of wisdom. And give him glory if you understand this gospel and you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to give God glory. But if you don't, you will also understand because the hour of judgment has come. When you are faced with the choice of receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, either you receive salvation and deliverance from damnation, or if you reject, you receive damnation. And as long as you deny the Lord Jesus Christ, you're on your way to hell. As long as you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to face damnation. But when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, you are eternally saved. And you miss condemnation or damnation. And he says this everlasting gospel is being presented. In closing, let me say this to you. The gospel was presented by the 144,000. The gospel is being presented by the two witnesses. And now the gospel is being presented by this angel who is flying in midair sharing this eternal gospel. Can't you See that God is sharing truth even in this horrible, terrible, critical time that we call the tribulations, this time of crisis, this time of destruction. God is still sharing truth with us. I pray that you will receive God's truth. That you would accept his word. And that you would be saved by his word. Because it's only the truth that's going to set you free. 
It's not what you believe. It's knowing the truth and believing the truth that will set you free. Just believing anything, everything, won't do it. You have to know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe that truth. And if you accept that truth, you will be eternally saved. You will be. You will be. Not because I say it. Because this says it. This says it. I want to thank you for your time. And I pray that somehow I was able to demonstrate Satan is telling a lie. God is sharing the truth. Even to the very end of time, God is still sharing truth with us. But those who refuse to believe the truth, who reject the truth, they perish because they had not the love for the truth or desire to know truth. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Please, don't be that person. Be the person who seek out truth, want to know truth, and want to hear from God through his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you again. Father, I just thank you and praise you for your word. Give us understanding and clarity of it. And Lord, we'll give you praise. And we will, oh God, give you all the glory. Because no one else can truly share truth with us but you and you alone. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. God keep you. See you next week.